Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Foreplay is four intimate tales of sexual triumph and travail set in four American cities. In Skokie, a closeted woman's crush on her minister's wife erupts during a weekend of dog-sitting. In Austin, a young couple discovers a kinky way to keep their relationship alive. In Tampa, a man with an extremely small penis finds nirvana in a public restroom. And in San Francisco, a cross-dressing sex worker faces the challenges of an assignment with a quadriplegic man arranged by the client's wife. A quartet of stories in which the characters are charged are changed by unusual sexual encounters, foreplay frames desire through themes of connection, eroticism, shame, fear, love, spiritual healing, and self-worth. We're joined today by the director of foreplay, Kyle Henry. Kyle's uh, previous work includes the film Room, which was uh, a Sundance film, Sundance um, Frontiers film, as well as Cannes Director's Fortnite selection in 2005 was nominated for two Spirit Awards, including the John Cassavetes Award for low-budget narrative films. Kyle Henry, welcome to Film School. Hi, thanks for having me on, Mike. Thank you for for being here. Um, just a quick, it, uh, the film is an anthology of four uh, these four stories. Uh, tell me a little bit about the genesis of the idea behind foreplay, and um, what was it? that in your mindset uh, you wanted to pull together four different stories into a narrative film. Tell me a little bit about the genesis. Sure. I mean, the genesis is twofold. Uh, First, myself and the screenwriters um, are old friends, and we often complain about how sex is represented in films. Mm -hmm. Um, It's normally titillation, but it's never really a driving center, so to speak, of a narrative engine. Um, and from our own catalog of experiences and the experiences that friends had, we knew that uh, we could come up with some good stories that really revolved and involved sex uh, in a crucial way to the development of a character and a story. Um, that's first and foremost. And, you know, we live in America, and um, we see plenty of violence on our uh, screens day in and day out, but uh, sex is still kind of relegated to the margins, even though it's a huge part of our lives. So that's part of it. Um, Second part was I met in San Francisco an old friend of one of the screenwriters, Jessica Hedrick, Mm -hmm. a cross-dressing sex worker um, who goes by the name of Chloe. Mm -hmm. And while I was working on a film out there, and um, Chloe, you know, I had a lot of trepidation before I met Chloe and had a lot of stereotypes and assumptions about the work that Chloe did. Mm-hmm. And Chloe turned out to break many of my stereotypes. Um, also had incredible stories about the work uh, that he did and really considered the work that he did uh, a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the first short um, that was produced... Uh, which was written by screenwriter Carlos Trevino, came from one of those uh, stories that Chloe told us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
I often react to what's not there on our screens as much as what is there. And if no one else is telling a story that I think deserves to be told, I kind of jump in with uh, both feet and uh, get to work. Well, the film foreplay, there's these the four different stories, and it's absolutely, I mean, in my mind, absolutely correct. And when you when you say about intimacy, and um, and the four the four different stories uh, are different in tone. I'd say you could, I think you can safely say two of them are they're funny. They're intended to be uh, kind of yeah. in some ways a bit satirical uh, about the subject of their of the story. Or um, if that's the right word, not satirical, but certainly um, light-hearted about it, and um, and the other two are much more um, serious, uh, dealing with, as you say, this, the center of these stories are are sexual desire, sexual expectations, uh, and, and the drive. Sex drive is 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 a, a, but intimacy is really kind of at the end of the day. This is what the film is is trying to to uh, get across. You work working with these different uh, writers. Uh, Carlos worked on three of the four stories. Am I correct, Carlos? Yeah, Trina? yeah. And then, so so Jessica wrote on Joseph, Jessica wrote the, the other one, one but yeah. yeah. So uh, and obviously with uh, Carlos's uh, stories, they're much different. There, uh, there's a, a wide range of subjects uh, um, in in each one of these. Um, What's his background in terms of uh, as a writer? Has he? Yeah, Carlos uh, has worked for years, uh, or did work for years in Austin, Texas, as both uh, a theater director and writer mm-hmm. uh, with a experimental company called Physical Plant Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they produced everything from you know relationship stories where there was no dialogue whatsoever set in a futuristic world filled with leaves and uh, debris to um, uh, a fable about terrorism that involved clowns and clowning you know they got their name from sort of physical <laughs> physical action physical theaters or with each one of the shows that they would do they would sort of learn some new um, uh, physical trade and try to incorporate it into their shows. Um, and he is also my partner. Um, I've been with him for 14 years now. And so selfishly, I wanted to take advantage of some of his creativity, which was very close to home. Um, and when I started having this idea of doing four shorts that would become an anthology, um, probably it was out of practicality. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also work as an editor. I've edited, uh, 14 features now, both uh, narrative and documentary films, and I also work as an educator. Uh, I teach uh, film production. So it was how to also practically find a form that would work with our schedules to create, you know, highly charged work, um, but yet would not require you know, the months and months that it takes uh, for a feature production. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I pitched to both Jessica and Carlos this idea, and I said, you pitch me stories about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, the only parameters I gave them were that they had to be limited to two or three central characters, really one or two main locations, mm-hmm. um, and that it, it would have to adhere to a, a, a really tight, unified uh, time period, like a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, about eight stories were pitched, and I picked uh, four. Um, 
so it really was a collaborative, uh, you know, all films are collaboration. Mm. And anyone who tells you otherwise is selling you, <laughs> selling you a bridge in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, well, in the, uh, but, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But, uh, but that, that sort of, uh, what became, um, I think, you know, of, of interest to me and to stretching myself, you know, seeing sex through these wildly different forms. I think you mentioned that one of them being satiric. You know, one of them is certainly a farce. It's yes. a, a, we're calling our gangbang bathroom farce. It's, uh, yeah. it's mostly silent. You know, it's an homage to silent slapstick comedies, and no pun intended, but it's about a guy trying to hook up in a bathroom. Um, and uh, the comedy and the pain that kind of comes uh, from that experience. But, you know, having a serious intention underlying it all, mm-hmm. that sense of rejection and shame um, and, and body image issues uh, that particularly, I think, afflict uh, gay men yeah. uh, who are its central subject. Now, you mentioned uh, Austin as one of the sites, or one of the the, the stories is, is framed in Austin. Um and I uh, just noticed your producer is a Jason uh, Whaling. Am I saying that correct? Yes. Uh, he was also a, a part of uh, the production of Happy Poet, um, which I just interviewed last week uh, regarding uh, that that film, um, Paul Gordon's film. Yeah. Um, Austin seems to have a pretty thriving um, film uh, community. It's really quite heartening to see. So you in, and you'd mention that as well. It's uh, it, it sounds like an exciting place to be uh, involved with film right now. Yeah, I think Movie Maker Magazine listed as like the number one place to live to make independent film last year on their own little top ten list. And I would I would definitely concur. It's a place that's always, you know, Rick Linkletter has always described it as a place that has attracted people who are searching, whereas some place like L.A. or New York or San Francisco has a mythology surrounding each of those cities that's very much a destination, you know, if you want to make it in terms of being on top of the financial world or on top of the art world. You go to New York, you know, you go to L.A., you know, you want to uh, live the dream, you know, or think you you know what the dream is and want to live it. Um, And San Francisco is, you know, a place where the freak flag, you know, flies (laughs) uh, big. Um, uh, Austin is, I think, a city more much more about flux and... Thank God Rick Linkletter stayed, because really he is at the center of creating the kind of community that's existed there for the last 20 years. Mm. And, you know, it could have happened in any other city, but so many directors, as soon as they make their first film and and are able to get hooked into that Hollywood pipeline of money, you know, move. They move immediately. And he didn't. And that's why Austin has the community that it has. it really seems to. It, it's it's an exciting. It seems to be a lot of exciting work coming out of there. Um, um, you've for I was as we said. By the way, we're speaking with the director Kyle Henry. The film is Foreplay, opening uh, today, March 29th, um, in Southern California at at uh, the Egyptian Theater. Actually, starting tonight, and which is a great venue, by the way. I know our, our listeners know that already, but it is a terrific place to see a, a great film. So check it out. Now, um, in the production of this, I know that, uh, I believe that throughout the production, you kept one uh, director of photography, um, P.J. Ravel. Um, yes. And that helps a lot. The film uh, has a good look. 
I know he's worked on some others. Uh, to help me out with the theory I have, he previously worked in documentaries. He did documentary work. For on a low budget, it's my my. I'm projecting here a little bit. If I were to try and get a hold of a cinematographer, director of photography for a low budget film, it seems to make sense that you'd be looking at the um, documentary community for shooters because they know how to get it right the first time. They don't get a second chance on most documentary shoots, and they're and they're used to that run and gun kind of style that you need to have for a low budget film. Is that a is that an accurate uh, theory in your mind? Sure, I, I would say both documentary uh, production and even documentary editing mm-hmm. um, greatly expands your creative horizons mm-hmm. for showing you what is possible with very little. Yeah. And that's where creativity comes. Creativity comes from limitations mm-hmm. um, and for them being creative with inside those bound, within those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And with a DP, I mean, what you're also getting, I think, with a documentary or primarily, let's say, documentary DP, although PG has um, shot a lot of narrative features. He just shot a, a fairly big budget film called Bounce Back mm. that premiered at uh, South by Southwest. Um, and uh, yeah, he's 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 worked on with you know large crews and full lighting rigs. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's really great at at focusing on on what where is the attention need to be focused, yeah, yeah. and and how can you do that with as little as you know three lights or one light even. Uh, you know, where does the subject need to be placed? He's really great at coming into a location and figuring out how the location can be used. Um, as, you know, I have become, too, as a director, um, and I think that's where a great DP um, who's been trained in the documentary world uh, can add to a production. Also about how to use natural light right. and natural light sources. Right. Um, which can be quite beautiful and spectacular and, and, you know, way sort of more organic than um, what you get with, you know, a studio, uh, traditional three-point lighting setup. Right. Tell me, uh, do you know what camera he was using uh, on the shoot? Did he stay consistent with one camera, or do you know? Well, we shot this film over the course of three years. I swear, I think we, like our uh, record of the evolution of digital filmmaking technology <laughs> over that period of time. So you, you saw it all, huh? <laughs> yeah, we began with uh, an HDV camera. Uh-huh. Uh, then we shot on, and that was for San Francisco. Then we moved to a Sony EX3 okay. um, for Austin. Uh, then we moved on to the DSLR uh, Canon cameras Which was... uh, for the final two. Okay. Um, I, think we, I think we used a... Com- you know, I'm not the best with uh, remembering camera names, but I think it was either the 5D or the 7D, whichever one has the better resolution and color space. Yeah. I can't remember. I've heard fives Which are pretty good, but uh, the but that's, yeah. Okay, I'm just curious because we are film school, and a lot of, lis- a lot yep. of our listeners are, are film um, filmmakers themselves, so I'd like to know. And also, um, this is four different stories and you and and yeah. you for different sets of actors for different crews the challenges and the and the advantages if there are any for being able to uh to work with that many different crews over the course you said over a three-year period but what are the challenges that you face uh, in hiring and at these different locations and or 
or or what are the are there some advantages you're doing it in chunks and how tell me a little bit about that part of the production for you as a director well the advantages uh include uh, an extended period for uh development and fundraising okay you, know, you have four different opportunities i wrote a blog um entry that i was invited to write for kickstarter and we did five Kickstarters for this film. Okay. Uh, so with each different chunk, we were able to do a different video, do a different Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, it also allowed us, or allowed me to learn. Mm. I had a much longer sort of curve to put into uh, action, you know, on a regular basis, things that I was learning. Whereas surviving a, a feature shoot, which can run 24 to, you know, 32 to even 40 days, it's, a, it's especially on an indie feature, it's like a game of survival. Yeah. You know, by the end, you are dragging, and yeah. you're just kind of making it through your day, yeah. unless you're just wired on illegal substances. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, so, or, you know, or have a, a luxurious, you know, budget, yeah. uh, which we did not have. So yeah. this, you know, allowed me to have these, like, sprints, um, which I think was very helpful. Yeah. Um, finally, you know, disadvantages. I think I thought it would be easier, uh, and it really wasn't um, because each film presented its own challenges and required like four different pre-production periods. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we really tried to be very smart. For example, the bathroom uh, comedy, and, and that was the one that played at both Sundance and Cannes. Um, uh, of the shorts, mm-hmm. uh, which was another advantage. We got to enter yeah. three of these uh, films, sorry, two of these films into festivals all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the shorts have played as standalone shorts outside of the feature. Uh, and it's still an option. We're still playing at festivals all over the place, mm-hmm. um, which you don't get with a feature. You just get that one one shot, and that's it. Um, disadvantages, you know, were... Just that, um, you know, the period was so extended. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think um, one nice thing about features is you just go in and it's war and it's brutal, um, but it happens in a, a real concentrated period of time. Right, right. But I, 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 did, I was sort of sprinting in, in a marathon with this one. So. Well, well sprint, sprinting, gathering your, your oxygen, pulling yourself back together. And you're right, then the long march for money and, uh, and, uh, and getting the right crews lined up and the time frame you need them for and the actors and all the rest of it. Tell me a little bit about, uh, in that regard, tell me a little bit about the involvement of the, one of the executive directors. You have Jim McKay and also Michael Stipe. Is, did he did he come into this process somewhere in the middle, or does he does that help you get distribution and some of the people that you need uh, to work on it? Tell me about a little bit about his involvement and the impact that it, it had on on this film in terms of distribution foreplay for its distribution sure. and all that. I've known Jim for oh my goodness, close to fifteen years. Um, he sat on a grant uh, panel for one of the first docs that I directed, American Cowboy, and he gave me a grant. And I I tell this to budding filmmakers always, because you get a grant, follow up with the panelists, thank them, send them a copy of your finished film, because it could be the beginning of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and very rarely, even on panels that I've sat on, do I get to see the finished work that I've, you know, 
helped commission by giving a film a, a grant. Um, and that led to me eventually, uh, Jim and Michael have this, uh, um, what I like to call like an artist incubator company mm-hmm. called C100 Film Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, you know, is, has produced big budget work. He, uh, you know, did um, being John Malkovich mm-hmm. and um, was also one of the producers on um, uh, um, the, the Todd Haynes, um, Bellet Goldmine. Mm-hmm. Um, C-100, though, has sort of continued and sustained by giving out small sums of money, you know, 30 to, I don't know, $100,000 to work that they believe in, that they know is going to have a difficult time commercially in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, their primary goal is, is, is not necessarily a return on their investment, even though we sign contracts and everything that do stipulate that the film makes a profit. Because I think... You know, there's work like foreplay, which is, you know, if we had submitted it for a rating, and it's non-rated, but would it would have been rated NC-17, yeah. is dealing with difficult uh, subject matter that, um, you know, people aren't jumping up and down to fund, uh, which is uh, stories that deal in a variety of ways with sex, something that we're still very scared of, uh, especially in this country and in this culture. And... Um, Thank goodness, you know, they have the means and the ability to support projects. And so over the years, I think C-100 has um, supported about 15 mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they continue to support work, about one or two features uh, a year. So I, I knew Jim through the granting uh, panel, sent him, sent him a script for my first feature, Room. They both came on board as executive producers for that film, that film did well. Um, I went through sort of the typical development hell period after my first feature where <laughs> something was optioned and two years were spent rewriting it and nothing happened with it. Mm. It was a much bigger budget. No one would give us money. And uh, <laughs> foreplay also came out of the desire again of just, you know, you're a filmmaker when you're making films. Yeah, yeah. If you, and if you go too long, um, you're not learning anything. Um, you're learning about how to go to meetings. Um, but you're not learning how to work with actors and how to tell your your tell your stories. Um, that's so. got, that's got to be so tough to uh, to this that limbo, the creative limbo, and the expectations, raised expectation, and then dashed expectations for all of those kinds of things that you you're talking about. And then you're right; you need to be out making movies. That's what you. That's what you're. It's in your in your blood and. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how some, to find. I guess what it is, some of this has to be finding a creative environment in which you're able to flourish. And this sounds a little bit like what uh, Michael Stipe and Jim McKay are doing um, with their production work. Yeah, thank goodness that, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I think you all, as a filmmaker, it's your job to uh, either meet your audience or find your audience. Yeah. And uh, thank goodness there are people um, that you also need to meet as a filmmaker who are down with your mission. So being able to define what your mission is um, in, in, in this life is, is important. Oh, absolutely. Well, 
We're running a little bit short on time. Um, the film is foreplay. Uh, Kyle, are you now? It opens here uh, at the Egyptian Theater tonight, March 29th, here in Los Angeles. Yes, and, 7:30 and, p.m. 7:30 p.m. And, um, are you going to be out for that? And, or yes, I and one of the actresses, uh, Danielle Renee, who lives in Los Angeles, will be there tonight at the 7:30 p.m. screening. Um, and you can, yeah, get tickets online at Fandango. Fandango, and so you'll you'll be doing a Q&A after the 7.30 showing, it sounds like. Yes. Excellent. Yes. And the beginning of the 10 o'clock showing, whatever. <laughs> you'll be around. For, for <laughs> Well, that's great. Yes. That's great to hear. Um, uh, and then uh, hopefully the, uh, rolling out across the country and, and some uh, VOD or some, I'm sure, down the line we'll be yeah, able to see. Yeah, we're, we're at the tail end of our theatrical tour, and it'll be available uh via DVD and uh, streaming okay. at the beginning of May. Um, so they can go to our website, yes. com if they want, and you know, like us on Facebook if they want to know when the film is coming out. Uh, and I thought those ways. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here on Film School today. And um, you know, all the best on this. And sounds like you have some, some other film film projects in mind, so uh, look forward to your future work, and and just thank you for being here today on Film School. Appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.